table. Let me invite you now, though, to open your Bibles to Psalm 129. Psalm 129. Many of you know this. Uh, I am a big baseball fan. My mom grew up in Augusta, Georgia, and so she brought into our family the Atlanta Braves. We, we love the Atlanta Braves, and I, I want to bring you back to 2021. Now, many of you know, if you're a baseball fan, you know that the Braves won the World Series that year, but it did not come easy for them. In fact, as they headed into the All-Star break, they had lost more than half of their games. And right at that time as well, they lost one of their best players. Ronald Acuna Jr. was going back for a fly ball, and, he, and as he leapt to try to catch it, he missed the ball, but what was worse is he ended up tearing his ACL and was knocked out for the rest of the year. As Braves fans, we were just like, saying what Cubs fans say most of the time, maybe next year. Uh, sorry for you Cubs fans there. Uh, and we just thought it's over. Like you can't lose a, a, a caliber player like that and win the World Series. And so we watched with just expectation that this wasn't going to go anywhere. Maybe they could make the playoffs. And, and, and if they did, it would be a great achievement after losing Ronald for the year. So fast forward, somehow they were able to to, to scrounge around and come up with a win for their division, and they made the, the playoffs. Uh, but the, the deck, the deck was, was stacked against them, because even heading into the playoffs, they were part of the worst division in baseball, and they had one of the worst records in the playoffs heading into that year. And so that meant every series, they would be the visiting team. So if you don't know anything about baseball, uh, they usually play a series of five games or seven games, the best of. So they'll play... In the five series, the home field advantage teams will play three at home, two away. So the Braves were, it, it was stacked against them. And to make matters worse, the first series was against the Milwaukee Brewers. Best of five. They lost the first game. Uh, the Braves did. And so it, it was just like, okay, well, they made it next year. Let's just move on. S but somehow, the Braves, they believed in one another. There was great unity. There was, there was belief in the coach belief in the organization that they were in this together and they weren't going to give up and somehow they pulled through and won the World Series. They, they were triumphal in a, in a time where nobody was giving, uh, giving them a chance to do so. Well, I got a great, a much greater story than that. For that is just a small picture of what the church has had to deal with. All throughout history, the spiritual deck was stacked against them, except for one fact. They had a mighty God behind them who would not allow the church to fail. So this morning, the, the title of our message is this, The Triumphal Church in the Midst of Suffering. No matter what we face, we know that we have victory in Christ. So let's dive into this psalm together this morning. Follow with me as I read Psalm 129. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up. That which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. 
We bless you in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the triumph that we have through Christ on the cross who paid the price of the sins of every person who would ever believe. And Lord, if, if that's us this morning, God, we have all the reason in the world to celebrate. All the reason in the world to have joy. And so God, I thank you for the chance to remember that this morning. And Lord, as we look at the psalm, chances are there, there are believers in Christ this morning who are heavy-hearted. Perhaps they are almost undone by the affliction that they've experienced and, and they're having a hard time seeing you. God, this morning, would you remind them of the promises that we see here in Psalm 129? God, remind us of the great Savior that we have. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have not left us alone. I thank you for the hope that we do have. So God, remind us, encourage, strengthen us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now throughout history, the church has continued to endure and stand the test of time. Now I want to clarify something with you this morning because when I speak of the triumphal church, I'm, I'm not speaking about gospel community. I'm not speaking about everybody necessarily who is in this room today. The, the church, big C church, that represents every person who has ever repented of their sin and genuinely placed their faith in Christ for salvation. That is the triumphal church. And as we break down this text this morning, there are three main sections that we see, and we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about these three. The first section is this. The church will suffer. The church will suffer. Aren't you glad you came to church today to, to find that out? <laughs> But let's look at what the text says this morning again. Verse 1. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The phrase there, let Israel say, this isn't new to us. We saw this back in Psalm 124. So this is a corporate song that the people would have sang, and the psalmist is wanting everyone to participate. Hey, join me. Hey, this is, this is the history of the Israelites. And no doubt they were thinking back to Egypt and, and how Egypt treated them. Now remember, this is, this is a, uh, the, the series for the summer we're calling the, song, the Songs of Ascents. Now this isn't, this, isn't, this isn't something we made up. This is the title of every psalm that we're going to go through this summer. And, and what this was was a book of songs that the Israelites put together, and they would sing these as they made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate different festivals. So, so here the, the psalmist is like, hey, let's recall the affliction and the way the church has been treated. Now here, here's one thing that we have continually highlighted here at our church that we know to be true. No, no to be true. The church has always suffered, and it will continue to suffer until Christ returns. I think it's important that we remember the reason why there is suffering in the first place. And it all started with Adam and Eve in the garden when, when God gave them directions not to eat of a certain tree. And yet Adam and Eve went against what the Lord had said. 
And at that point, sin entered the world and all humanity is born sinful. Only one person ever born was without sin and that was Jesus Christ. Because of sin, there is suffering in the world. We have an enemy that wants to seek, kill, and destroy. We will experience suffering because the enemy is relentless. Our own hearts have been tainted with sin. And because of that, we will experience suffering because of our own sinfulness. And Because that reality is true, that means it's true for everybody else around us. We're going to, unfortunately, sin against one another. We're going to cause other people suffering because of sinfulness. And truly, to be human is to suffer. And as believers, we know this to be true. This is what Romans 8, 22 and 23 says. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, I don't know about you, hardly a week goes by, sometimes even day by day, where I don't long for heaven, where I long for our Savior to return to take us to where we belong now. We, we suffer because this is not our home. We suffer because of the result of sin. But as we look at this text, there is a specific kind of suffering being discussed here. The reason the Israelites suffered in the beginning with the, with the Egyptians was because of who they were in the Lord, their identity being in God. They, they suffered because they were the people of God. And the same is true today. The church suffers because we belong to the Lord. We are Christ's bride, and remember what Jesus promised. In this world, you will have trouble. He said this, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Did they persecute Jesus? Church, you will be persecuted. You will experience suffering. Now, I don't know about you, but I actually find that quite helpful. So that I know suffering is going to come my way. I should not live life expecting this health, wealth, and prosperity that some false teachers want to teach in the church. We're not guaranteed to have human prosperity. That's just not what you see in Scripture anywhere. We should expect it. And when you expect it, then you prepare for it. So, so when it comes your way, you know how to handle it. You know, when, when we planted this church, I, I, I've been a pastor for, for many years before that, and I've experienced trials, but, but I knew when I put myself out there to plant a church that there was going to be another level of suffering that was going to come. And, and we've seen the enemy try to destroy what God is building. And, and I found the same thing to be true at home. I've seen the enemies work in my own family. And there, there are days where I'm like, why are the kids out of control? Why does everything seem to be falling apart? And then I remember, oh, it's Saturday and I have to preach tomorrow. And I know the enemy is not going to want me to come up here in the spirits ready to go. He's going to want me to be full of the flesh. He's going to want me to be frustrated and angry. And yesterday was no exception for our family. Uh, to start off, uh, you know, we've been gone for a couple weeks, and we got back Monday night only to have to deal with a, a, a fridge that broke uh, um, during our time gone. And so what happens when fridges aren't working? Everything in it spoils. 
And so the lovely odor that we received was not very welcoming. <laughs> on top of that, we received some unsettling health news in our family that has us a little bit on edge. Yesterday morning, I found myself enjoying some coffee. How many of you guys have had uh, storm problems this week? <laughs> a little bit crazy at our house. And uh, I'm, I've been out there, I was out there for an hour on our porch just drinking coffee, reading a book, and Hudson, our youngest, is, comes outside, he's playing, and he's like, hey, Dad, there's a, there's a branch down on the side of our house. And so I'm like, oh, yeah. And there's, you know, there's limbs and stuff everywhere, but this must be a little bit bigger uh, than what I'm used to. And so I walked to the side of our garage only to find that was not a limb, that was a whole tree that had fell because of the storms on, on Friday night. And so all of a sudden, our plans were ruined for Saturday. See, we had already made plans. We're going to do a lot of yard work. We, we're trying to tear apart our backyard. There's just a bunch of shrubbery. You, you ever move somewhere? They're like, why do you have all this stuff in, in your yard? And so like, we're, trying to, like, we're going to deal with this. We've been trying to deal with this for the last year, and finally we're going to do it. And then the tree falls. Thankfully, it didn't hit our house or anything, but it did create a big mess. And so I'm calling around, uh, found somebody who had a a chainsaw, so I went to go borrow it, and I'm just not the most, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, you know, I'm not the, the brightest guy, and so I'm trying to use it, the chain keeps coming loose, and I got to keep calling him and trying to ask, like, how do, you, how do you make this work, and finally I threw the chainsaw aside and started using a handsaw and just going to town, yeah, that, uh, it takes a little bit more time than a chainsaw, a little bit more effort, uh, and so finally we, got, we did get all the branches down and started working towards the projects that we had for the day. And so it's 10 o'clock we started. It's about 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm sweating. I'm just nasty. It's been, even though it wasn't that hot yesterday, the humidity has been out of this world. We just came from Florida. I thought we left that there. And, and so I get a call from my daughter, Reese, who was in South Bend uh, visiting some friends there and about to do some photo shoots. And she's like, Dad, I heard a pop in the car. And, and then I, I pulled off into a neighborhood, and it's not going anywhere. I don't, I don't know what to do. And so I'm like, great, uh, I have no idea what I'm doing either, Reese, uh, but I got to go be dad. And so I go to her, and uh, I, I start, you know, it seems like there's something wrong with one of the tires. And so I, I jack the car up. I've jacked cars up millions of times. I've changed, I don't know how many tires. Uh, very easy for me to do. I have never had this happen. But twice, that stupid jack fell on me with the tire off dropping on the front rim there. I'm like, what is going on? I've never had this happen. And so finally it gets to the point where I realize this, this is going to have to be towed somewhere. There's no way I can deal with this. So we have insurance. No big deal. Call the insurance. They get us set up uh, with a tow truck, and they're like 60 to 90 minutes. I'm like, okay, I can, I can deal with that. We'll just go hang out somewhere. Uh, got a coffee, so that, at least that was worth it. And then we you know, had to get gas and things like that. And so we come back, and there's about 20 minutes left of the first 60, and 60 minutes comes and goes. 90 minutes come and go, 95 minutes pass, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to call. Hey, we haven't, the tow truck hasn't come yet. So they reach out to the tow company, and they're like, okay, it's going to be another 30 minutes. You guessed it, 30 minutes came and went, still no tow truck. I, I've had tow trucks before, this is, I've never had this happen to us. 30 minutes later, uh, finally I'm like, I, I, I actually have the number to the tow company, I'm like, hey, just want to know when are you going to come? Oh, 30 minutes. Oh, great, 30 more minutes. This happens multiple times, and we ended up being stuck in the car, in my car. I mean, at least we had, could get around for three and a half hours waiting for the tow truck to come. I, 
the one thing, though, the beauty of it is that, that Reese was a, a calm spirit. She understood that there's nothing, there's nothing we can do, Dad. Like, we could choose to have a bad attitude and complain or grumble or just make the best of it. So God was able to use that, realizing, like, Satan's going to want to use this to distract me and get me frustrated and angry so that when I come up to the pulpit, I'm not going to have a good heart. I'm not going to have a clean heart. But God was able to, to remind us that, listen, we're, we're not guaranteed no suffering. We're not guaranteed to have everything to go well. We're not guaranteed to have our cars work all the time. This is not something that God has promised. And so when suffering and things like this come, we can be prepared for it because we know this is our lot in life until Jesus returns. Believers, do you live with the understanding that suffering, far worse than what we've even said, is sometimes part of the territory in being a believer in Christ? How are you preparing for affliction? I want you to see here how the people responded, how this author Response. Look at the second part of verse 2. He says this, Yet they have not prevailed against me. If, if you know me, you, you know that I have the tendency to be more like Eeyore when it comes to distraction. You know Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh? Just, just always always complaining and about the bad things and always living his life. And the psalmist is not doing that. He's not living in light of his affliction. He's acknowledging his suffering. Like, that, that's a good thing. It is good for us to acknowledge. I get scared when I encounter people who are going through things that I could not fathom. And to see that they're, oh, we're great. We're trusting the Lord. And they say all the right things. I'm like, wait a minute here. This is far more serious. Like, you should have some kind of sorrow to your soul. It's okay. I get more worried about that. There, there's a danger to that. But there's also a danger, believer, in just living in light of your affliction. Do you have any friends on social media who the only thing they spout out about is how negative things are? This is not what we have in Christ. Believe you're going to suffer. But don't make that your identity. Here, the good news for us, for the car, we, we, we were able to tow it to my brother-in-law's place and He's got, a, he's got a business in South Bend, and we think it should be easy fix, a relatively cheap fix. And so we're, we're thankful. Here's the, here's the hope in that. Like the, that's a small thing, but with the big things in life, we know that the evil one will not prevail against us. We know that he can only go so far. I find great hope, yes, the church will suffer but the enemy will not prevail against the church. Here's the reason why. Look at verse 4. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. Yes, the church will suffer, but here's the great news, believer. The church has a Savior. The church has a Savior. Listen, the fact that the enemy has not prevailed against us is not because of anything that we have done. It's not anything of us that, that we could boast in. It's because of the Lord and his righteousness. He has cut the cords of the enemy. He has cut the rope that is trying to bind us. 
Listen, the only reason why we found ourselves bound is because what we allow ourselves to get into. Christ has already freed us from the punishment of our sin. But if we continue to dwell in it, we're going to bind ourselves. But God has demolished that with his righteousness. You are no longer bound by the enemy. He will not prevail over you. We have a Savior. And here's the thing. Our Savior was afflicted on our behalf. Look at verse 3. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. So furrows, if you've ever seen like a freshly, uh, when they, I don't know farm terminology. Of course I get up here and my brain freezes. You know when they, when they have the tractors and they plow and they, you, you see the line that, they, that, that makes in there, that's a, that's a furrow. And when I was thinking about this, I, I don't know if it's referring to Christ, but I couldn't help but think of the stripes that were put on our Savior's back. As he was whipped 39 times on our behalf so that we might be made right. Our Savior allowed the enemy to think that he would prevail over him only to find out that he won the victory through his death. So that, brothers and sisters, for those of you who have repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, you have been freed. You have been given eternal life in Christ. You no longer are defined by your past failures but you have been given Christ's righteousness. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. When God looks down at you, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees the righteousness of his son that's been given to you. So believers, stop. Stop meddling and looking and keeping your eyes on your afflictions. Turn your eyes up to the Savior who has paid the price. Oh, how I've needed to remember this in my life this week. No matter the trials that come, I have a Savior who has made me right with the Father. My sins have been paid for. I've been forgiven. I have received the righteousness of Christ. That's my identity. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning we will suffer in this world but we have eternal hope in jesus who began a good work in us and he will bring it to completion so brothers and sisters in the midst of your suffering do you remember your savior do you remember that he is alive and well and even right now is interceding for you you know i I think of I think of all the leaders in the world. If you look through history, even the history of the Israelite kings going into the politicians that lead our days, and, and, and most leaders, if most of them are there for themselves. Here's two words that you don't usually see together. Humble politician. In, in a real sense, America is getting what it deserves in the leadership. I look, and and I'm just brokenhearted at the brokenness of our system. But I remember our Savior. Man is going to 
bring us down, but we have a Savior. And listen, this, this understanding, living in this reality that we have a Savior has been the greatest gift for me. Daily, I am, I am tempted to despair in some form or fashion. You know, most days it's not major, but like, you know, I have a little attitude with family, and I, and I get that enemy who just wants to say, how, how dare you? How, how could you be a pastor and do those kind of things? Are, are you really a Christian with that kind of attitude? How could you call yourself a Christ? And then I got to throw myself at the feet of my Savior, reminding myself of what his word says. Lord, you have said that if we confess, you are faithful to forgive and purify us from all unrighteousness. Father, I am a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When I look at you, I see my son. That has been the greatest joy. And I, I love what Paul says. I'm, if you want to turn there, you can and write it down. Romans 7, 15. I'm going to jump into this real quick. But I, I just love, you know, sometimes we look at writers of the Bible. We look at people like Paul and we think, Man, he just had it all together. He just, he was a, he was just a, I could never match it. And then, and I read verses like this, and remember, Paul was a sinful man just like we were. The Spirit used him. And when I read scriptures like this, I'm just so comforted to know that I am not alone. Even the Apostle Paul says the very things that I feel. Look at, this is what it says in Romans 7, starting in verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Can you relate to that? Like, why am I doing this? I know I'm not supposed to, or why didn't I do that? I know that was the right thing, but man, what's going on here? Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So you see there, like the law is there to protect us. It's there to proclaim the truth of God's word. So if there's something I don't want to do, I'm agreeing with the law. Like I shouldn't do that. This is what the law says. Verse 17, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Do you see that? For I, I delight in the law in my inner being. But, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So there's this, there's this fight, and, and Paul sees this sinfulness, and this is what he declares of himself. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And you feel that too sometimes. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And we see these sweet words. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Church, we have a Savior who's paid the price for us. How often are you remembering him? Is it just when we take communion, or is this a daily practice of yours where you recall the goodness 
of your Savior. Let me remind you of what Colossians 1 says about our Savior. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, it says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. What does that mean? It means Jesus is sovereign over everything. All powers, all circumstances, Jesus is over it. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Look, we might look at the world and think it's crazy, it's going out of control, but the reality is, is if Jesus didn't have his hand on it, things would be a lot worse. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He might be first place. He might be above all things. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Let that sink in. Jesus wasn't just a good man. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. And through him, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to do all. And through him to reconcile, reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Brothers and sisters, because of the sacrifice of Christ, there's great hope for us. Yes, the church will suffer but the better news, the greatest news, the church has a Savior. Look at verse 5 in Psalm 129. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms, nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Here's the last thing. The church is called to seek. The church is called to seek. At this point, the psalm, the author of the psalm has moved from recalling former afflictions to remembering the Lord to seeking after the Lord. He, he, he's praying. He's, he's seeking the Lord. He's, he's asking them uh, really, you see these kind of prayers all throughout the Psalms. We call them imprecatory prayers. The word imprecatory means to call down a curse against an enemy. Verse 5, it says, May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turn backwards. So Zion refers to the people of God. It refers to the big C church. And, and I think at this point, it's, it's important for us to identify who is the enemy. You see, I've seen many people in the church who label certain people as enemies that should not be labeled so. The person who cut you off this morning isn't your enemy. The server who gave you poor service isn't your enemy. The person who wrongly criticized you this morning or this week is not your enemy enemy and yet people want to pray down they want to get on their social media and they want to bring curses to their quote-unquote enemy listen as believers in Christ we know that the enemy is not flesh and blood if you were with us through Ephesians we read this in verse 12 of chapter 6 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places 
The, the real enemy is the spiritual enemy. And you have to understand that, that under the Old Testament, there was an old covenant. But when Jesus came, it, it really changed everything. Think of it from this perspective. When we were born, were we born friends or foes to the Lord? Foes. We were his enemies. We were all his enemies. And so if we have these prayers over our enemies, it was different because back in the Old Testament, we saw God wipe out nations who were coming against Israel. And there was a necessity for that to take place. This is a new enemy that he's coming to take over, and that is the enemy of sin that indwells all of us. And so we have to be careful when we approach these that we don't start praying against the people who cut us off in traffic. Rather, we're praying against the enemy who is blinding the eyes of those around us who once blinded our eyes, but God tore down the veil. Still, I, I, I think there's something for us here, even in these prayers. For I, I have found myself praying similar prayers for unbelievers. And, and let me explain why. When you come to Christ, is there like skipping and jumping? Oh, this is great. I just found out that I am unworthy. Huh, I'm a sinner. Separated from God, there's nothing I can do. This is awesome. I don't know about you, that's, that has not been my experience. Salvation comes from a place of brokenness where God has to strip us down and help us to see that he is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Nothing else in this world satisfies. And so I have found myself praying. I mean, I mean consider what it means in verse 6. Let them be like the grass on the housetops. Think about grass on a housetop. Is that going to last long? It might sprout up for a bit, but it's not going to come to a place where uh, somebody who's gathering sheaves, gathering a bundle of, 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 of wheat or whatever, they're not going to be able to gather anything. It's going to die. It's going to fade off. And so he's, he's praying, don't let, them, don't let them prosper. Don't let anybody look at them and say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. And isn't this what's kind of hard in America? There's so much prosperity and I've said this, I read this, I think John Piper said this about his dad. His dad said to him, the problem isn't getting people saved, it's getting people lost. To help them realize they desperately need a savior. And so I, I don't pray these as a curse, like I hate you and I want you to suffer. I pray this, God, bring them to the end of themselves. If you've got to strip them of all of life except for a, one final breath to get them to draw them to you, then do whatever. And that's my prayer for our church, is that we would seek the Lord on behalf of those that we would might label as enemies, who, who are just blinded from their sin, that instead of praying curses upon them, we'd ask that the Lord would open their eyes as he opened ours. Believe in Christ. Who are we to wish someone to hell when God should have sent us to? And who are we to think that somebody is too far gone when we should have been there too? We, we had, there was no hope for us. It's only by his grace and by his mercy. If we're going to proclaim that message, then we can't be praying for God to send others to hell. Rather, let it be a prayer of God. Strip them of everything. Break them so that the only thing they have is you. Seek the Lord. Let me ask you, believer, are you broken for the lost? Listen, I, 
I don't come up here and, and act like I never struggle with anger and that the only thing I do is pray for those who curse God. Look, uh, this week I, I've seen things that make my blood boil. When I see people in the name of God declaring things that are absolutely against Scripture in a church, quote-unquote. And I could find myself getting so angry because there's this blatant spirit in them against the ways of God that fight against the very things that we stand for. And I've had to remind myself, God, apart from your grace, where would I be? God, open their eyes, expose them. Otherwise, Lord, they will face an eternity in hell, a place that I deserve. Oh, how if God would break our hearts daily of that, how would that transform the way that we treat others? How that change the way that we speak against these things? We should speak against them. I'm not saying that we stay quiet in the background, but, but we do it in such a way that is in desperation that, man, you need Jesus. The church is called to seek. Brothers and sisters, we are the church. We must not be thrown off when we're experiencing suffering because that's what Jesus promised. So prepare for the suffering. And remember, don't let that define you. Don't live in the light of your suffering. Remember, we have a Savior who's paid the price for our sins. When we were his enemies, he died for us. Brothers and sisters, may we be the church by pursuing the Lord when those around us are speaking against the ways of God that their eyes may be opened. Let us pray against the work of the enemy who is blinding the eyes of those around. Let me give you some action steps that you can put into practice this week. I encourage you to memorize Psalm 129, 1 and 2. Let me read it for us again. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. Listen, guard, though, against that. The prevailing that takes place in our lives is not because of anything in us but by the grace of God. I encourage you to prepare your heart next week as we look at Psalm 130. I, I love this one. This is a great one. And if you're one that is just <laughs> desperately waiting for the Lord, look at verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. This is a place, the psalmist is in a place of God, I desperately need you. I trust we'll be encouraged. And so prepare your heart this week as you read through that. And then a question for you to ponder. Are you hopeful in Christ. Listen, the scriptures say that we are more than conquerors in Christ. Are you hopeful? Are you remembering your Savior? Not just on Communion Sunday, but every day you're waking up because you know you're temp the temptation of your heart to forget. You're preaching the gospel to yourself every day. Remind yourself of the hope that we have in Christ. That no matter if the rest of your days contains great suffering, in the end, he will call you home to glory. And then lastly, before you speak against the lost, let's be a people that prays for the lost. 
that he might grant forgiveness as he has granted to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and for your mercies this morning. Father, I thank you for the promise that we'll suffer so that we're not surprised by it. But Lord, if we're honest, we, my confession, I'm sure many here would confess that we don't always suffer well. So I pray that you would help us to do that by remembering we have a Savior who paid the price for our sins. Father, may we be so overwhelmed that your grace towards us so that when we encounter things that make us so angry in the world that we would first be broken for the person who's who's blinded, may it lead us to pray and then let us pray to speak against the power of the enemy in their lives. Lord, we, we need you. Our hearts are so fickle. God, even in saying that, I, all the times that I get so angry at flesh and blood when it's not the real enemy, Lord, help us. We desperately need your grace and mercy to know how to battle against those who are causing such strife, Lord. We just need your wisdom. And I thank you that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love towards us. Thank you for your patience when we fail in these ways. Lord, let us proclaim the gospel in word, and Father, let us proclaim the gospel in the way that we live. Lord, be the Lord of our lives, and we thank you for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, let me remind you that you are the light of the world. The city on a hill cannot be hidden, so let your light shine so that others may see your good works so that you can give glory to your Father in heaven. Have a great week.